0: It comes from John chapter 17. Now, if you've ever been here when I've preached before, you know that we're not just going to go into John chapter 17. So if you have a Bible, you could flip there, but we're going to be a little bit uh, in other areas today. But John chapter 17, Jesus is praying, and he's specifically praying to God, talking, openly opening up to let his disciples hear a prayer. And the prayer isn't like the Our Father who are in heaven. It's not a prayer that Jesus prays, To teach us how to pray in John chapter 17. And uh, we're not even going to read the whole thing today, but if you get a chance, just know he's not teaching us how to pray. He's showing you what his heart is and what his heart is for those that are following him, his believers, those disciples that he has, those that are not just even following him at that moment when he prays in John chapter 17 before going to the Garden of Gethsemane and then being arrested and taken on to crucifixion. It's not even right like praying, you know, kind of he's he's praying in this moment of, hey, disciples, I want you to see what my heart is for you. And as he's praying to God, there's a lot of things that he says in John chapter 17 that are kind of those moments of, uh, hey, God, this is you and me having a conversation. It's almost like Jesus isn't even asking. He's like, God, this is our this is our understanding because you and I are one. So because you and I are one, we both agree with what I'm saying right now. So Jesus doesn't even have to ask God for what he's kind of saying in his prayer. It's more of a, God, this is our, this is our heartbeat as being God. So, um, so anyways, when you look at John chapter 17, just kind of check that out. But uh, what I gathered from John chapter 17, a lot of points that could be taken from it, uh, but the main one is this, when the clicker finally works for me, is that you were created to shine, and so whose light are you shining? Um, John chapter 17, kind of the main point I got from that is you were created to shine, but whose light are you shining? And um, there's a lot of places that we could obviously go, but when I kind of had this come to me at one point yesterday, it was really fun how God did that, but whenever I had this idea come to me and it kind of, I saw it in John chapter 17, the first one was that you were created and specifically you were created by God. And I don't want to miss that first. Everybody in here, okay, you were created by God. No matter who you are, no matter what your walk of life, no matter how awful of a person you might think you were yesterday or this morning on the drive-in, okay? no matter who they are that you meet later on, okay? everybody that you meet was created by God. okay? There's artificial intelligence right now, people that are walking around, in case you've watched some of these crazy news stories. They were not created by God. And that worries me a little bit. If it doesn't worry you, you should be. Because they weren't created by God. They were created by man. But you were created by God. You have feelings, emotions, and those emotions are anger. Yeah, you have anger. Well, guess what? God created you. You have feelings and emotions. God gets some angry and upset too. Now, God doesn't sin. God's not a part of sin. And that's where we saw even last week when uh, Pastor Eddie went through Adam and Eve. So we saw that. But the important thing I want you to catch right now is that you were created by God. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 is this kind of important moment here of creation story, but it says this, so God created human beings, check this out, in his own image, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So you weren't just created by God, you were created in the image of God. So it's so much deeper than that. You have likenesses of God. God literally is the ability to breathe life into every single one of us. He breathed life into Adam at the very beginning, but he breathes life into you as well. Every breath that you take is a grace of God that you have the ability to breathe it. But even just the who you are, no matter how different you look, you can look at a person next to you and they might look completely different. Even somebody that might be a twin, you're like, nah, they're different than me. There's those little quirks, right, that I don't like about my twin. And you think, wait, but you're twins, how do you have quirks that you don't like about each other? But I'm sure you do. Do you C- confirmed? No, you can, you can tell the truth. They won't get mad. We're in church, right? So, but you do, right? You're going to have those moments where it's just like, oh, I'm not the exact same as anybody. God's created you unique, which is interesting because to be created in the image of God, he creates every single one of us though unique. So it'd be, a, it's, that's why I think even God's like, hey, listen, don't even create an idol of me because I'm so unique that you'll never come up with something that compares to me. So look around to the people around you, and that kind of gives you an idea of why God could never have any image created of him, because he's way more unique than anything that we could fathom. But you're created in this image of God, and that's something extremely special. It's not said about anything else in Scripture that's created. You're created in the image of God. Capture that. Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. Here, check this out. Human life's important. If anyone takes a human life, by the way, this is after Noah gets off the ark, okay? Noah and his sons, and God kind of speaks, and he's given them like this breakdown really quick of some rules. And one of the rules is this if anyone takes a human life, that person's life will also be taken by human hands, for God made human beings in his own image. It's an important thing to him that he made you in his image. He loves the fact that he made you in his image, and nobody has the right to take that image off of the earth. God's the only one that has the right to do that. And so he makes this rule here for Noah. He's like, hey, listen, if somebody kills somebody, then that person needs to be killed. Just straightforward. This is Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. God loves his image that he's created. He loves you, he created you. Okay, he loves his creation. Then check this out. You've heard this before, but this is Psalm chapter 139, verses 13 through 16. And I'm just going to read it because it is so important to remember. This idea of God creating us. You made all, talking about God, the psalmist writes, God, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Your mom had you, but she didn't have a little sew and needle, you know, and sew you and knit you together, right? Something else was happening there. That's God. That the, this psalmist is like straight up, Just it was God. Verse 14, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous how well I know it. So you could easily look at your neighbor right now and say, yeah, you're really complex. I do not understand a thing about you because God made you so complex. It's a good thing, you know, like you might think that's a bad thing. No, being complex is good. We were made super complex because God is the one that's in control. There's no way that we could recreate it at all. It is God that creates it in God only, and it's a marvelous thing that he's created. And you know this as well. I don't even really have to tell you this. You know it. If you ever think about some things that go on, you're like, man, this is amazing. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, meaning in the womb, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. So God's in control of everything from the the moment we're being stitched together in the womb until he knows that exact moment that's our last moment on earth and when we're going to be standing before him. And it's going to be judgment. I'm just going to jump ahead a little bit, but you know, that's it. He knows you. He loves you. He created you. You are complex. You're a complex person. You know that? So Isaiah chapter 43, verse 57. There we go. Uh, This says what Isaiah says. Now, this is written just so we're kind of we got to get a basis because Isaiah is one of those ones that we like to quote maybe sometimes and we forget the context. So I just want to really quickly give you that. So Isaiah is written at a time whenever the Israelites are kind of being taken. They're either about to be. This is Isaiah's kind of thing. You're about to be taken into captivity. You're going to go very, very soon. Hey, you're there and life sucks but it's going to get better. Okay, so there's at one point Isaiah's writing, and that's kind of what he's dealing with. Uh, And so in this portion here, there's this idea of life is going to get better whenever you're in captivity. Don't forget, this isn't the end for you as a nation of Israel. Okay, Israel's not done and over with. God is actually going to send you the Messiah. So Isaiah points a lot. There's a lot of scriptures and chapters that point to this. Isaiah chapter 43 is one of those. Isaiah chapter 53 is another one that I really love, but they just kind of are all over the place. This is one of those. And this is what it says in Isaiah chapter 43, starting in verse 5. Do not be afraid for I'm with you. That's a very important verse. And I think that we can apply that even today for us. So the Israelites needed to remember it because they were going to be in captivity or they were in captivity. Okay, whatever was happening in their their life within their nation, they needed to remember that. Hey, listen, don't be afraid. God is with you at all times. But we can say the same thing for ourselves. And then he says this, I will gather you and your children from east and west. So the idea for this right here in that moment, talking to the nation of Israel is they're going to get scattered all over the place. And God is promising them that there is going to be a moment where he gathers his nation Israel back together because he's not going to let them stay scattered forever. But the same goes for us too. Once we've given our life to the Lord Jesus Christ, there will be a moment from east to west when he will come and he will gather all of his children. So it's a cool correlation that gets to happen here. Verse uh, 6 says this, I will say to the north and south, bring my sons and daughters back to Israel from the distant corners of the earth. So no place is going to be left untouched. No corner left untouched. Bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for my glory. It was I who created them. Now he's talking about the nation of Israel, but here's another really good verse. Not only does God say that He's created them, talking about the nation of Israel and the people that are within it, but we know God created us. So if God's created us, and we know that through Jesus Christ we're claimed to be God's children, there's a promise here for us as well, is that He will bring all that claim to be or claim Him as God. And that he will also have this, I've made them for my glory. That's an important little uh, little piece to look at there. It was I who created them. There's a reasoning for the creation, and it's for God's glory. We'll get to that in just a moment. Because guess what? It's really, really easy to think that I'm created to shine for my own glory. Really easy to think that. Actually, it's so easy because um, we, like Keone shared in the praise jar, we just went to Disney, Right? Disney is such a fantastic mix of you can have tons of fun and complain the entire time you're doing it, you know? Like, like I'm going to ride a ride, and I've got to wait for an hour, and for whatever reason, I'm willing to do that. And Disney is a master of it, right? Like, you go in, and you walk, and you're like, this line's short. And then you turn the corner, and you're like, what? And you're like, look, and you're counting like one, two, three, four, five. Oh my gosh, that's five rows I'm going to have to walk through. And so you start like time. You're like, okay, so when's this person move? Okay, that times five. And you're like, wow, okay, yeah, this is, a, this is an hour wait for this little snake that I'm looking at right here. So Disney has the ability to do this, but it's still, they try to create this idea, right? Their, their staple number one park that everybody knows about in Orlando with the big old castle is what? Magic Kingdom. Some of you all don't care one two cents worth. But yeah, it's Magic Kingdom. That's right. So, so we go on Monday to Magic Kingdom, right? And the idea is it's supposed to be this magical thing. Rides still are broken down, but it's a magical thing. People are in the park, right? Everyone's standing around. It's hotter than anything. There's no shade right? You're trying to fight to find the little piece of sliver coming down from the pole of shade so you can watch the parade. Like, there's just all these magical moments of being at Magic Kingdom, right? And uh, But this is the important thing that I was I was thinking about that. You know, I'm so so prone I can get caught up in trying to shine for my own glory. And man does that on a regular basis. I'm just like off the top of my head, the Tower of Babel. They're building it for their own glory in Genesis. And and the idea being that, hey, we're going to build up, we're going to build up, we're going to make our name for ourselves and make it great, when God had actually called them to go and to scatter and to multiply across the earth. But the idea was, no God, we can make a name for ourselves. And so the same thing goes. I go into Disney and it's like, well, this should be all about me. And then all of a sudden, my kids are there. And they're like, I want this. I want that. I want that. I want these Mickey ears. And I even like tried with Alana at one point. I was like, Alana, how about, I mean, I $35, by the way. But anyways, I was like, Alana, how about these? And she was like, no, I want those. And they were God-awful looking Mickey ears. I was like, no, I'm not buying you those. And better yet, we're done. We don't even need to worry about Mickey ears. $35 not being spent. And so Alana throws a fit in the middle of Disney because she's not getting the Mickey ears she wants, right? And I'm like, but you're at Disney. It's magical, right? Come on. I'm like, do you know how many Mickey ears worth of this ticket was just paid? Well, maybe not for her because she was two still. So we were good. We could get her in. But it's like, we're in this place. We're having fun. We can go on rides and I let you see Mickey ears for one moment and now it's ruined. Again, for a moment. Then we walk out, Dumbo's there, and she's all happy. Keone, we go to another place, we go to Animal Kingdom, and Keone, actually, I was really proud of him, just really quick, I'll let you know that. So we go, we go on this ride after we waited an hour and a half, but go on this ride, it was quick over in four minutes, we come out, and they're perfectly planned those rides you come out and there's a store right like immediately like you can buy what you just saw on the ride so Keone goes from I just had the best time ever I'm talking about this ride to eyes wide open like oh what can I get you know like and I'm like no like uh, they don't have a line that goes away from that you got to go through the store so we walk in the store and we're looking and uh and Keone comes up to this place where you can make a necklace now we have stuff to make necklaces at home but he looks at this necklace building thing and he's like I want one of these. And I'm thinking, I'm like, okay, we're at Disney. I don't wanna be the mean dad and it's a necklace. Like we can make this happen, right? So I'm looking and so I'm like doing the math in my head and I'm looking at it, which is the problem, right? They don't want you to do that. But I'm doing the math in my head and I'm looking at it and I'm like, okay, piece of string that's gonna break when Alana pulls on it and he gets eight beads and he gets a little fake feather, right? Like that's this $20 necklace. That you're gonna get at Disney. Now, granted, it looks like the characters that what they were wearing at Disney, but it's like, okay. So I'm like, mmm. I told him I'd be willing to get this for him before I saw the price. My fault. So I'm like, all right, I'm gonna let him think about this. So I look at Keone, I'm like, Keone, we got a lot of things to do today. This is a twenty dollar necklace. He's like, it's 1999. I'm like, stop. That's Ashley, by the way. Ashley looks at something, she's like, it's 19 bucks. I's like, no, it's 19.99. that's $20. So Keone looks at it, and he's like, all right. So I'm like, it's $20. And so he's like, $20? That's a lot. We've gotten somewhere in life. He knows how much $20 is. Thank you. Homeschool mom over here of the year, $20? That's a lot of money. He understands. So he looks at it, I'm like, Keone, is there anything else that you think you might see in the park today that's worth $20 that you might want? He's like, there might be. I was like, you want to wait? And he's like, yeah, I think I'm going to wait. I think I'm going to wait. I'm like, wise decision, buddy. We walk out of there, and we are free. Nothing to worry about. Uh, no necklace. We got him some, like, ice creams and other things, and it's like $20 worth of just pure joy and cooling down throughout the day. So it was good. We were able to kind of move through. But you, get, you see what I'm saying? Like, it's easy. There's so, Disney's just the easy example, right you go in you forget time and money exist cuz that's their goal but in their kids especially they in order to make them happy and not make the day miserable cuz you just spent 300 something dollars or whatever it is a ticket to get in you're like okay $20 necklace fine just be quiet and happy right so they tr- they do this they know what they're doing so but that's all of life that's marketing of all of life that's a job of any good person that's doing anything marketing is to get in front of you something that you think that you need and, and, that's, and that's just because, you know what? I deserve it. And I cre- I'm created to shine for my glory. I need that new outfit. I need that new purse. I need that new backpack. I need that new surfboard, skateboard, whatever. Because if I get it, I will be that much better in appearance and be able to shine. And that is such an easy thing to s- sell because we were created in the image of God. And if we're not reflecting God's glory, we're reflecting our own. And so because we're created in the image of God, we are actually made to reflect glory. But whose are you reflecting? So in your mind, you might think, oh, I'm doing the right thing. It's okay. But the reality is if it's not reflecting God's glory. So I had to remind myself of that. That was hard at Disney. And then it's hard to like get your kids on board because they don't care. Like they're like, no, this is Disney. Like let's have fun. So... Anyways, easy thing to remember of this is uh, don't be drawn into the magical kingdom, be drawn to the eternal kingdom, right? Forget about magic kingdom, it ain't got nothing on that. So eternal kingdom, we should be living for that, all right? <clears throat> so Jesus' desire is for his uh, dis- is for his followers, his disciples, uh, those that are Christians, however you want to term yourself here, I'm going to use followers, But Jesus' desire is for his followers to shine God's glory to the world. That's his desire, and I see that here in John chapter 17. So John chapter 17, verse 1 of John 17, we're going to do 1 through 5, and then we're going to kind of jump ahead. And it's simply because I know I have a lot of scripture, um, and there's just so much good stuff, and we just can't, you know, it's just, we gotta, you can read it, read it on your own. John chapter 17, such a good look at the heart of Jesus. But it says this, after saying these things, which is Jesus talking about everything that's about to happen to him literally everything I'm going to my father like you guys can't go his disciples are like what do you mean we can't go and like what do you mean you're going to your father and like what's gonna act like we don't understand Jesus like make it plain so Jesus says it over and over like going to the cross especially in John Jesus is just like so patient with the disciples he's just like guys listen here it is again guys listen here it is again okay let me tell you it this way in a parable let me tell you it this okay and now I'm gonna make it plain in this way and then finally the disciples look at jesus and they're like you're finally speaking plainly and like for me reading it i'm like he was speaking plainly like back in verse like chapter three like what are you doing all the way here in chapter 16 but i'm sure if i was with jesus at that moment i'd be doing the same thing i'd be like jesus i just don't understand because everything i've been taught about what the messiah is supposed to be you're like turning it up over its head
1: so the jewish leaders they've not been telling us this so i'm gonna have to learn this all over again
0: So Jesus is talking, and finally his disciples, and they're like, "We we get it." They say, "We get it." And Jesus is like, "Okay, perfect. Now I'm gonna pray to my Father, and you're gonna hear this, okay?" So after saying these things, after making things plain, and after his disciples saying, "We got it, dude," um, Jesus looks up to heaven and he says, "Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, so He can give glory back to you." That "glorify your Son" is not a request, by the way. It's not saying, would you glorify your son? He's saying, hey, it's time for you to glorify your son. Okay, God, this is the plan, and I've known it all along, times right now. So he's speaking to God just like you would as if it was just an equal person right now, in this, in this phrasing in the Greek of glorify your son. Okay, glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. There's a reason for the glorification, by the way. It's so that God can be glorified. Jesus still is keeping things to where we can see this kind of uh, hierarchy if there had to be one. John chapter 17, verse 2. For you have given him, talking about himself. So Jesus is kind of like doing one of those things where you've got to follow it, right? So you've given me, you've given him, you've given Jesus authority over everyone. He, talking about himself again, Jesus says, I'm the one. He gives eternal life to each one that you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life. To know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one that you sent to earth. So I'm going to go ahead, and while I still kind of got you all, we're going to look at this, right? So this is the way that we like to kind of simply share the gospel. There's a lot of ways to do that, but this is the quick way to tell the story, right? I know that I've got this problem, okay? But I also know that I was also created by God. So first, I'm going to tell you this. I was created by God who's perfect. He created me in his image. The reality is, is that he's got a place for me that's perfect. It's called heaven. The streets are lined with gold. I don't have to like run around scratching it off to collect it to buy anything. It's literally just the asphalt of heaven. Okay, so the streets are lined with gold. It's perfection. There's nothing to worry about. I don't have to worry about sin anymore or issues. God has made this perfect place for me. When he originally created Adam and Eve in the garden, there was perfection, right? They had the ability to walk perfectly with God in the garden. And then all of a sudden, there was this desire to shine and to have glory upon themselves. And that's sin. The desire to have this about me attitude is sin. The desire to take away from God everything that is for him is sin. And every single one of us falls into that issue. Okay, you're not alone. Now, some of you might say, well, my glory that I brought on myself is way more of a issue. I had a bigger moment of that than you right? That's easy to do. But listen, it's, an, it's, a, it's a missed target, right? There's a center bullseye and it's so small and fine and only God hits it. And anything short of that center bullseye doesn't count. Okay, that's just an easy way to put it. So whether you completely miss the target altogether or you hit somewhere really close to the center, you didn't hit center and so it doesn't count. And so God's looking for the center to be hit, and so that's this perfection. That's center hit. Center bullseye. Everything else is sin. And so Jesus comes into the world... Right. God sends his Messiah, Jesus, who he's been promising since the beginning. By the way, you can find it in Genesis. You can find it all throughout. We saw it in Isaiah chapter 43. Okay, we see it all throughout. Jesus comes on board and he's like this. He promises. He even says in John chapter 14, I'm the way, the truth and the life. He says other things like I'm the bread of life. He says other things like I'm the vine. You're the branches. You just got to remain in me. Right. He talks about living water with the Samaritan woman at the well. There are so many moments where Jesus says, I'm the guy. In Scripture, in the New Testament, that if you read the Bible from, from the very beginning all the way through the end, okay, you'll see where he's promised, and you'll see where Jesus fulfills it all. And if you've not done that, and you're still saying, well, Jesus wasn't it, or God doesn't exist, but you've not read the Bible from front to back, then there's my challenge for you. Before you say anything to anyone about the fact that God doesn't exist, read the read the book I'm talking about first, all right? But if you're here and you've read it and you're just not seeing it or you don't get it or maybe you've heard it and you're like, man, I just am too far gone. No, you miss the mark just like I did. Doesn't matter how far I missed it. Doesn't matter how far you miss it. You miss the mark. Jesus is the one that hits the mark and he prays to God right here. He says, listen, this is all you need for eternal life. This is all you need to hit the mark to know you, God, to understand you. And if you know God, you know he created you. There's one little thing right there. If you can just know this about God, he created you in his image. We got that to work off of. And if you can understand this about you as well, that you might have a tendency to try to draw glory away from God and have the shine be you to be you, have you be the glory that gets you get all the glory and God doesn't. If if you feel like that might be you, then now you kind of understand sin. And so I think that we're at a really good place where you could say, well, what are you going to do about it? And this is what Jesus says. He says, hey, you're the only true God. And Jesus Christ is the one that you sent to earth. And if we can get the fact that God would be willing to send his son, Jesus, to earth to pay for sin, to be able to hit the mark for us. And then Jesus says, listen, all you got to do is believe on me as the one that hit the mark. Let's go. I'll walk you right into the father. I'm the shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. I'm also the door to the gate to get you in. It's perfect. I'll lead you. And I'm the one that opens the gate because I am the gate. So if Jesus is the one and he's the one that leads us, then we have the ability now to live. If we surrender our life to Christ, we have the ability to live in this glory. But check this out in verse four. I brought glory to you here. When Jesus was here, he says, I brought glory to you. Talking about God. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. Now, Jesus is talking here of completing the work. In a perfect tense of, I've completed the work. Okay? But he's still alive and the work is not completed. But he says, I've completed the work here in this prayer. He is so 100% sure of God's plan. And he knows without a shadow of a doubt that he is gonna die, that he is gonna be buried, and that on the third day he's gonna rise. That he says, before that happens, before that string of events happening, He says in this prayer, I've completed the work because he knows when he's talking to his disciples. That's why his disciples repeat this prayer here and not after the fact, right? If we had had John chapter 17 after Jesus had died and all that, then we'd be like, all right, yeah, he completed the work. But imagine someone being so confident in the fact that they know why God has them here, that they can literally say in front of their disciples, their followers, before everything is actually finished, it's finished. That's an impressive thing. Imagine going to your boss and your boss says to you, hey, did you finish that project? And you're five weeks behind. You're like, yeah, it's finished. All right, let me see it. You know, that's bad. Wouldn't want to do that. Or walking in five weeks early and being like, hey, just wanted to let said, you know, that project's finished. And it's still got five weeks to go. Yeah, that wouldn't go over so well. But here's Jesus and he's talking with God. And he says, hey, yeah, God, we've completed the work. And he's saying that in front of his disciples. He's giving them utmost confidence in this prayer. So in verse five, now, father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. God, he is, that is what Jesus is looking forward to. I mean, he loved being here with his disciples. I'm sure he loved showing them. He loved teaching. I'm sure he loved being able to be able to bring relief and healing to people. I'm sure Jesus loved that. I'm sure he was all about it because he could turn around and give God all the glory But Jesus, more than anything else, was looking forward to this statement right here. God, I'm going to go back and be with you. I cannot. This is it. This is what I've been waiting for. This last 33 years has been, I mean, it's been a ride. I've I've really enjoyed being able to be with people and show them the way and prove that I'm the Messiah. But now we're about to put on the show, and I'm so excited to be able to come back to you in all glory. Because now my disciples are just going to be blown away. Like the ones that are going to stand and watch me when I do ascend, they're going to get it. And so he is so excited for this moment. He also knows that whenever he goes, that that's going to allow for now the Holy Spirit to come and to dwell inside the life of the believer. So he knows that this moment's coming, and he kind of talks about some of that through a couple of verses, but we're going to jump to verse 13, and this is what 13 starts off and it says, Now I'm coming to you, talking, hey, God, I'm coming to you. I told them, talking about disciples, many things while I was with them in this world, so they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your word. Oh, back it up. All right. I've given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. He's talking about his disciples. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. So, any glory. That his disciples might get on this planet is pointless, right? Because they do not you don't actually belong to the world. So make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. So here's a calling. The disciples, you have a purpose, right? If you're a follower of Jesus, you have a purpose. You have the truth. You have God's power backing you. You have God's calling backing you. You have the power of Jesus backing you. He's saying it here in 17. He's talking to God. He's kind of giving God his plan, which is also God's plan. I'm sending them into the world, not just to the nation of Israel, to the world. Verse 19, and I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. So through the sacrifice of Jesus, what we showed there on that color there, that red, okay, through the sacrifice of Jesus, we're made holy. There is no other qualification there, right? I give myself as a holy sacrifice. Oh, and by the way, God, they're going to have to clean up their act. And then finally, they can be made holy by your truth. Or, hey, I give myself as a holy sacrifice. They're going to memorize every single verse in the Old Testament And then they're going to know all the truth by memory. And then they can be made holy by your truth. No, it doesn't say that. Jesus just literally says, my holy sacrifice is all that's required for them to be made holy by your truth. So do you have Jesus providing that holy sacrifice for you? I'm going to tell you, yes, you do. Now, do you believe that? Do you believe that to be truth? So here's Jesus praying again. I'm praying not only for these, talking about his disciples. I'm also praying for all who will ever believe in me through their message. So my question is this. Do you believe the message that the disciples gave? Easiest way to say whether or not you do is we read? if you read the New Testament. New Testament is the disciples' message that was written down, that's handed to us, and it lets us be able to read what happened with Jesus. So we don't get to see Jesus in person like they do while he's praying this prayer. But they see very important here that there is a message that Jesus has given them and that Jesus is praying for everybody that will ever receive the message. Have you received that message and do you believe it? That's one of the questions that you've got to ask yourself. Jesus prays this, I pray that they will all be one. That's a unity thing there. I pray they'll all be one, just as you and I are one. So such a oneness that it's like Jesus and God are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. You, uh, and may they be in us, so that the world will believe you sent me. So we have this ability to shine, right? You, being created by God, have an ability to shine, The church has an ability to shine, and it's so that the world will believe in the message of Jesus. We'll get to a little bit more of that in just a second. I've given them the glory that you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I am am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Imagine that, that God would love you as much as he loves Jesus. Sometimes we tend to think that no there's no way that God could love me as much as he loves Jesus. I mean Jesus is his son. Jesus is like God. Like he's the Messiah. Like how can he love me as much as Je- Jesus says, I want them to believe this, God, that you love them as much as you love me. Jesus is telling us this, all right? Verse 24, Father, I want these whom you've given me to be with me where I am. So Jesus is going to glory and he's like, I actually want these people with me, God. So then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. In Revelation, we know that that's going to cause not just singing in heaven among angels, but that's going to lead to forever praising God for all of eternity because we're going to see this glory and it's going to blow us away. In verse 25, O righteous father, the world doesn't know you but I do, and these disciples know you sent me. So when he says that, this world doesn't know you, remember, the message the disciples have, the truth the message the disciples have here is supposed to be preached to the world, and the unity of the disciples is supposed to be a witness, so the glory of the disciples, this unity, is supposed to be the witness that is going to reach the world. So Jesus says here, hey, listen, the world doesn't know you, God, but I'm about to send these guys out, these disciples, they know you. They know you sent me. And the expectation is going to be that they're going to be sharing the gospel. So you were created by God to shine. Whose light are you shining? Important question. It's really easy to get caught up in shining our own light, right? Let me show you a story. This is one of my favorite stories from the Bible of somebody that decides that he's going to shine his own light. Okay? Here's a proof. This is Nebuchadnezzar. Okay? We've got this Babylonian king. He is all about himself in so many ways. Okay, I mean, we're talking like Daniel's like writing about this guy. This is the guy with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. wanted them to bow down to this statue. Then all of a sudden it's like this gold statue and they don't. So he gets mad. So he throws them into this fiery furnace, right? They obviously got burned alive, right? Because that's what happens to people when they get thrown into a fiery furnace. No, they live. So there's four people in the fire instead of three. And it's, it looks like the son of man in this glory. So Nebuchadnezzar in his life actually sees God rescue people with full glory. But, in his life still, Nebuchadnezzar is all about himself. Imagine that, being all about yourself, but still experiencing this love and this joy and this glory of God. I don't know. As a Christian, I just don't resonate with that at all. I'm kidding. You know what I'm talking about. you get caught up in your own glory. So check this out. Nebuchadnezzar, as he looked across the city, he says this, "'Look at this great city of Babylon, my own mighty power. I have built this beautiful city.'" as my royal residence, to display my majestic splendor. What an arrogant um, king. So while these words were still in his mouth, while he's speaking them, a voice called down from heaven. Oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. You are no longer ruler of this kingdom. Imagine saying what he just said, and this come out of heaven. You, Will be driven from human society, you will live in the fields with the wild animals, and you will eat grass like a cow. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way, until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. Seven periods of time. Wouldn't it? Why seven? Wouldn't Nebuchadnezzar have just been better with one? Like, couldn't he have learned from just this one moment right here? But something in his own pride and ego is going to drive it to be seven periods of time. And then finally, he's going to get it. That's a lot of times being knocked upside the head, but Nebuchadnezzar needed it. His crown was too heavy, I guess. That same hour, the judgment was fulfilled. And Nebuchadnezzar, the same hour. Did you catch that? That's crazy. The, that, this was fulfilled. Nebuchadnezzar was driven from human society. He ate grass like a cow and he was drenched with the dew of heaven. He lived this way until his hair was as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. Nasty. Yeah. That's gross. He definitely didn't have any glory. Imagine that guy walking into your house, like a piece of bread. Sorry, dude. Or like all of a sudden, like, you know, he's married, he has a wife, and he walks home one day and he's like, hey, honey, how's it going? (laughs) No. She'd kick him out. All right, so he just let himself go. No glory whatsoever. After this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, so now he's talking again, he says, I I looked up to heaven, my sanity returned, and I praised and worshiped the most high and honored one who lives forever. His rule is everlasting, and his kingdom, his kingdom, not my kingdom, okay, he recognizes God's kingdom, is eternal. Nebuchadnezzar had a magic kingdom, okay, God has an eternal kingdom. All the people of earth are nothing compared to him. Is talking about God. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of the earth. No one can stop him or say to him, what do you mean by doing these things? I've caught myself asking God that sometimes. And God's gracious enough to actually answer. But at the same time, Nebuchadnezzar comes to reality and he's like, you know what, it's my own glory and pride that causes me to even ask that question. God, what do you mean by doing this? That's not what I wanted. Verse 36. So Nebuchadnezzar says this, "When my sanity returned to me, so did my honor and glory and kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored as the head of my kingdom with even greater honor than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the kingdom uh, the king of heaven. All his acts are just and true, and he is able to humble the proud. So why do we even have the littlest bit of glory and honor given to us? Nebuchadnezzar shows us to turn it right back to God. So the rest of everybody that's within any reach around us, if you're the top CEO, if you're the leader of whatever organization, or if you're just sitting there and you know what, you're answering the door as people walk in, whatever that kingdom is that you're put in charge of is simply to give honor and glory back to God. Anything that you begin to think is something for yourself, Here, according to Nebuchadnezzar, dude, you're lucky if he doesn't cause you to completely go insane. But there are moments whenever you're trying to get glory, can we testify and we have a little bit of our sanity just taken away? We don't go full on cow chewing cud, eagle's feathers hair and nails down to, you know, like claws. We don't go that, we don't go that insane. But if you've ever lost your sanity because you're trying to get a little bit too much glory and you're focused on that versus glorifying God. I have. Disney was one of those. All right. <clears throat> believers were created by God to shine. So, this is what we're created to do. We're created by God to shine God's glory to the world. Now, I said believers were created, and I said that very specifically because all people were created. And we were all created by God, and we actually do display God's glory just by so anyone you meet is an ability to see God's glory. But specifically, believers are created to shine God's glory to the world. So check this out, Ephesians chapter 2, we're almost to a point where we're done, but I do not want to miss this, this is good stuff, because I didn't have this until like really late at night, and God allowed me to stay up so late so that by the time I finished putting this in the PowerPoint, Alana started screaming. Ashley still took over, but I was in there for a little bit, like 10 minutes. She still didn't stop. So uh, God allowed me to find this verse here because I'd also help show that we were actually created. I was just going to say you were created, but that's not true. Believers, we are created. Check this out. God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united. There's that word, such an important thing. If we're not united, there's a bit of glory lacking, but we got to be united with Christ Jesus. God saved you. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. So, like I said, that mark, you never were going to hit it. It's so small. You're not. And if you get close, kudos to you. But you still missed. Right? So that if if you're one of those people that's like, dude, I'm like way off in left field. I completely missed. Then you're in the same boat as the guy that got close. So don't even worry about it. Right? Like, you didn't hit the mark. But God saved you right by his grace when you believed, you can't take credit for it it's a gift from god salvation is not a reward for the good things that we've done so not one of us gets to even have an opportunity to boast about it check this out for we are god's masterpiece he has created us anew you're not just created like you were created when you were born right like that's cool like, we're all God's masterpiece. No matter who, where you go, who you see, whatever, you're created in the image of God. But whenever you give your life to Christ, you're born again, as Jesus talks about in John chapter 3. Nicodemus didn't get that. And Jesus is like, no, you're born of the Spirit. And when you're born of the Spirit, you are created anew. You are created again. There's a recreation that is happening and has happened in your life, and it's undeniable. And God's the one that gets all the glory, credit, and honor for it. So you actually are created, believers are created for the purpose of glorifying God and leading other people to Jesus Christ. So check this out. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. You get to do good stuff when you're created anew in Christ. So if you are created anew and that allows you to do good, whose standard Are we deciding what is good and not good? It's God's. So if God says that once you're created anew in Christ, you do good, if you do anything without being created anew in Christ, the world might call it good. The world might give you glory because it's good. But if you're not giving the glory back to God, it's not good. And as a believer, if I have somebody ever say to me, dude, thank you so much for helping me, And I take that as glory for myself versus glory for God. It's not good. It's got to be glory given to God. Jesus said this, you're the light of the world. This is just a reminder, guys. This is good stuff. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. You can sing it as you're walking out the door, I'm sure. But you're the light of the world, like a city on top, on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. That'd be dumb, right? We went camping. We had a light. We didn't put it on our basket. It was up high. Actually, here's a really fun, just because I said that and I've got a little time. So we're camping, right? We're at Magic Kingdom, magical place, right? So uh, part of the magic is the fireworks at the end, at night. We are waiting all day. I am putting up with so much to make it to that moment whenever it is dark outside and there are going to be fireworks. And I look up at the sky and God has the most beautiful firework display going on off in the distance, right? For a little bit. And then it gets closer right? So thunderstorm coming in. I'm looking at the weather and this guy, bless his soul, whoever he was that was working at Disney, I went up to him and I said, where's the best place to watch the fireworks? He said, oh, in front of the castle. And I was like, dude, I, I used Alana as the reason, but it's really me. I was like, I want a place where there's no people. The castle's full of people. I don't want people. I want to be where there's no one. Like, is it back here behind the castle? Like, where do I go? The side of the castle? Like, where's the best spot? And he's like, actually, little known fact, the ferry boat plays the music of the fireworks. And if you can time it right, you can ride the ferry boat while the fireworks are going on. He's like, you'll hear everything that's going on with the fireworks display, but you get to watch the fireworks on the ferry boat. I send that to Ashley. I tell her on the phone. She's like, we'd be on the way back to the campsite. We beat the rush of people leaving. Let's do it. So we're like, all right. So we get on the boat and we're leaving. And uh, and then all of a sudden, like, we see that storm is coming fast. The wind picks up. Everything we're looking. The app is showing, like, weather's blowing and hard. It's like, yes, God. And so we're like, we're out of there. And we're just like, we feel so bad because we know what's about to happen to these people that are there for the fireworks. They're going to get caught in a torrential downpour. Thousands of people at Magic Magic Kingdom, right? So um, So... We're, like, there, and we, we are in the bus now, so we, like, I'll hightail it, we'll get to the bus, so we run, we get to the bus, we're on it, and I'm, like, oh, thank Jesus, like, the bus is waiting for us, and it didn't know it should be, and so we get on it, and we're going, and then we start hearing the pelts on the window, right, and we're, like, this is this is happening, like, this is coming, and so Ashley and I had a plan, I was, like, I'm throwing a in on the, the jogging, jogging stroller, so we just know that it was safe, so I'm throwing a lawn in the jogging stroller. I'm hightailing it because i got to get back to the campsite. i got those stuff in my truck. I've got those stuff in the tent. I've got to get things moved around really, really quick. Like, I've got to get the stroller broke down and chuck that in the truck. And I told Ashley, I'm leaving you. Like, you're running with Keone. You guys get there when you get there. But Ashley said it's the fastest she's ever run in her life. All right? <laughs> so she still ran. And as I'm zipping down the main rainfly of the dome, we just... It just starts coming down, and we barely beat the rain. Now, granted, we heard the ferry boat running till, what, like 3 o'clock in the morning. People said that they took, like, it was hours, hours after midnight that they're on buses still, like, trucking people around, getting them to their resorts. It was a miserable time, and I'm glad I didn't stay at the most magical place on earth. So, uh, so anyways, that, I don't know why, I forget why I got there, but it just was. It was a great, great moment in the camping adventure, and we survived the night. Oh, lightning. Yeah. All right. So and then the light in the tent. Right. Yeah. Okay. So uh, sorry. uh, it said this is what a lamp is supposed to be done. Place it on the stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. Uh, In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that people can glorify and praise your father in heaven. Ephesians one nine. And then we're done. Imitate God, therefore, in everything that you do. Imitate. This is for you if you're a believer. If you're not a believer, give your life to Jesus because you can't do this until you've given your life to Jesus. But check this out. Imitate God. You are already made in his image. Okay, You already know some of the good things that you can do, and now you can do it for his glory. So imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life that's filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us, and he offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Just a reminder again, Jesus did that for you. You do not do it for God. God does not need you to do anything. Jesus did it all for you. Trust in Jesus. And then live a life that honors God so that other people can see and glorify God in heaven. Verse 3. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure you can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person is going to inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world or worshiping themselves. When we worship the things of this world, that's really what we're doing is we're worshiping ourselves. We have the greed for the power that is God, the glory that is God. Don't give glory to yourself. And if you've been living that way, stop. Just give it to God. Believe on Jesus Christ, who he sent to pay for the penalty of your sin. To think that we could pay for our own sin is to say that I have the glory to pay for my own sin. You don't. And I'm telling you, we stand before God one day and he'll tell us the same thing. But if you stand before God one day with Christ covering you, he's going to say, come on in. Well done. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't don't participate in the things these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Guys, you were created to shine. If you're a believer, you were created to shine specifically for the glory of God. But you were created to shine. And the question is, whose light are you shining? Are you shining your own? And if you're here and you just want to be honest and brutal with yourself for just a moment, I know it's hard sometimes to do that because it means that you can't glorify yourself. Okay, but if you've been glorifying yourself for your life, stop. I know that's a lot harder to do sometimes, but it's such an easy word, right? Stop. How about believe on Christ? Glorify Christ. Glorify God. Admit to God that you're a sinner. That's one thing you could do. Or admit to God, if you need to start somewhere, admit to God that he created you. Say, God, I know you created me. Start there. And then from that point, move on. Maybe, God, I know that I've got this problem of sin, and it's, you know, end of the day, I just know that I'm not making it into heaven. You're not, if you don't have Christ. So do you believe that what Christ did for you is going to pay for the penalty of that sin? Is he the one that only hit the mark? If you believe that, Then you just, Jesus says, guys, just believe on me. And if you believe on Christ, surrender everything to him, surrender to him. It takes a time. I mean, it's not right over, over right in the moment, but at least now you have the Holy spirit living in you. When Christ, you say, Christ, your mom, I'm yours. Like I want you take over, lead me, guide me. I can't do this on my own. Right. Then as the Holy spirit indwells in you, it starts to show you those little things, step by step, piece by piece, because God knows you. And he knows that it's like a hard change. And he's going to give you things time after time. And if you do get caught in your own glory and you have given your life to Christ, you'll know it. And it'll be different this time because you'll have more of a desire to turn back to God quicker. But if you don't have a desire to turn back to God when you know you're doing wrong, you've not given your life to Jesus. But you will feel that desire and pull if you actually have because the Holy Spirit is going to be in you saying, dude, stop. Girl, you don't need to do that. Let's go back. And whenever you feel that, you know you're doing wrong. And go to God's word. It's the truth. Jesus said it. He's like, go into the truth of the word, guys. Like, Find the truth within the word and trust God. So whose light are you shining? Are you shining your own? Or are you shining God's glory and God's light to the world? If we do that, as believers, we're going to be unified. And that's something the world's really looking for, is a group of people unified, a family that's unified, It seems rare, but I think that we can find it if we keep giving glory just simply to Jesus. So do it in your business, do it at home, do it here, do it on the beach, do it in the waves. Got a lot of opportunities to shine glory to God this week, so let's just go do it. You guys pray with me? Father, thank you for who you are, I thank you that of all the places that we could be, God, you brought us here to Driftwood to be able to just hang out with one another. And Father, hopefully we have the ability to uh, come together and to be able to hear that, God, you are the one that deserves all glory. Um, Yeah, being at Disney this week, it was fun. But I just saw so much more that your kingdom is just going to be magnificent. Everything that seemed amazing and magnificent and glorious in front of me there is going to pale in comparison to what you've got in store Father, I can't wait to be a part of that. I can't wait to be with you, Jesus. Jesus, allow you. I know you're going to be getting glory this week, but God, just keep reminding me. I know I'm going to have many moments this week where I'm going to forget. So, Father, help me to stay focused on giving you glory this week. Help us to stay focused on giving you glory this week. And I pray these things in your name. Amen.